this is a good one. Oh, I'm ready to go. Yeah, you can look. I'm, I'm just outside New York City. I basically grew up in there, so I'm ready to go. So is the West Coast like like pleasant, like small talk drive you crazy? <laughs> no, it, the West Coast is basically a bunch of other transplants in L.A. trying to find their own way. So I feel like I'm not alone in the slightest. It's basically everybody like me that's trying to make pretend that they are Angelinos and they're all afraid of gluten when in actuality they all grew up eating bagels and pizza every day. Yeah, fair. I love going to the East Coast because it's like I, I grew up here, but those are like my people. I, I I love that there's no small talk. You go into a sandwich shop and the guy's like, what the fuck do you want today? And he's not being a dick. He's not being a dick. He's just like, I, there's a thousand more of you coming in today. I don't have time for this. Yeah. So I know we're recording. So I'll tell you this this story from when we were in Philly last year. So Philly last year, we were there for the Sixers game and being an East Coaster it was really my first trip back to the East Coast area. I guess not the first one, but one of the first ones. We never got our New York trip, so I didn't get to do that. But we went for cheesesteaks. Me, Brian Seaman, and uh, the TV producer, Stephen Rose, went to get cheesesteaks for lunch. And Stephen's from L.A. and Brian's from Iowa and then has moved from Iowa to Denver and Minnesota and to L.A. So mostly Midwest into the West Coast. So I was the only East Coaster. And so we get to go, we go to get cheesesteaks and Brian was first. And the guy basically said, what do you want? And he's standing there like, ah, I'm still deciding. I'm like, no, 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 no. You gotta, (laughs) you gotta, you gotta go. Steven is standing there. And so Brian finally orders and then he just stays there. And the guy goes, you gotta move, buddy. So he moves over and now he's just standing where eventually he's going to get a sandwich because he thinks that's where he's supposed to get his drink, but that's not where he's supposed to get his drink. So he's waiting now for the other guy to give him the drink. And the guy, the guy definitely cursed him out and said, dude, you got to get out of the way. We're not giving you anything here until you move. Meanwhile, I go, the guy goes, Hey, what do you want? I give it to him in a second. I move over. I tell the guy, he goes, all right, yeah, here you go. Here's some water, by the way. Brian's like, what, 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 what just happened? And I'm like, dude, you have to be efficient. Have you ever seen the soup Nazi in Seinfeld? It's like that. You've got to be efficient out here on the East Coast. If it's cheesesteaks in Philly, you got to know what you want when you're in the door. Steven was mostly lollygagging, but he didn't get it as bad as Brian. Brian got crushed. I mean, Brian got absolutely (laughs) destroyed in Philly. So, yes, the East Coast versus West Coast is very real. I've got a buddy in New York who calls it uh, shark-like efficiency. He's like, if we stop moving, we're dead in the water. There's mm-hmm. just, you don't, you cannot, you cannot smell stop blood from a mile away. You better oh, yeah. be ready. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that was a very rousing tale. I really appreciate you, uh, you telling that to us. Um, <laughs> I'm sure so, Brian will appreciate that it's out there as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a, uh, he's a friend of the show. So we'll have to ask him the next time he comes on, uh, whether or not that's his version of what happened that day. Um, cause I have a feeling it's going to be a little bit different, be, but I, yeah. I'm telling you right now, Joseph, that's the truth. That's the true version of what happened. Well, I guess I have to intro you now. Um, so ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest today. Um, we are very honored to have him on, uh, you know, him, you love him. It is Nickelodeon's premier football broadcaster, <laughs> Noah Eagle, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I, I feel like I'm ready for my WWE debut. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering why you were wearing that belt on camera. I didn't understand what was going on, but it I bring it everywhere like... I go. Discount, <laughs> discount, double check forever. <laughs> <laughs> so Noah, obviously, you are the radio voice for the Clippers, but um, in in touch with with Joseph's intro there, I am curious how did the Nickelodeon thing come about and and 
Just tell me a little bit about that experience. I'm super curious about that. Yeah, Brian, it was right up my alley. First of all, I anybody who listens to the Clippers radio broadcast knows that I try to intertwine and blur the lines between sports and entertainment as much as I possibly can. So to have a, an assignment that was tailor made to do that, that was literally for an entertainment outlet, but putting sports and trying to get it to a different audience. I just felt like I was born to do it. And so when they reached out to me initially with CBS Sports reaching out, they said, we're, we're partnering now that we're all under the same umbrella with Viacom. We're partnering with Nickelodeon to do this NFL playoff game. And they're really excited about it. The NFL is really excited about it. And your name is at the top of our list of people that we think would be really good for it because you're young. You can appeal to both the older audience and the younger audience. You know your stuff. And we know that you're you're you've got no issues, at least with the football stuff as well. So you, you can blend them. I said, OK, so I had to talk to Nickelodeon and go through that interview process and answer you know a variety of questions. It wasn't really anything rigorous. It wasn't, I would say, a real deal interview, but it was just a Zoom conversation so that they were comfortable with me. And once they gave me the green light, it was full steam ahead. And I'm very thankful to the Clippers because they didn't have to let me do it. There was a Clipper game that day against the Chicago Bulls, but Gillian Zucker and the Clippers were incredibly graceful and allowed me to do it. They said, as long as you won't miss any other games, then we're cool with it. I said, I'll do whatever I can to make sure that's the case. And we went ahead. And so I missed the one game. It felt weird not being in Staples Center that day for that wacky early start against the Bulls where Lou had a great game and Kawhi was dominant and Zach Levine went off for Chicago and the Clippers eked out a win. So it was weird not being there. But the experience with Nickelodeon was truly different, unique, and I was I was happy to be a part of it and, and something new, really, to set a new precedent in the broadcasting world. That's awesome. So, all right. So Nickelodeon, we got that out of the way. How did you get to the Clippers? I want to hear that path. Like, what was that that kind of path for you from, I don't know, where it started? Obviously, your dad is a legend in the game uh, and you have you have joined the family business. Like, I want to know when the moment was that you were like, I want to get into this too. And then how did you land here in L.A.? Yeah, Brian, I've, I've told this story a number of times um, when I was real young, what I wanted to do. <laughs> was and not that was not a slight and no it was it's okay we <laughs> felt it such, it's okay yeah it's okay. It came off as such yeah. there's my east coast bias just rearing its ugly head early <laughs> in the podcast but it was more so when i was younger people would come up to me and say well what do you want to do when you grow up and i'm talking about six seven years old it wasn't i want to be an astronaut or i want to be some sort of pediatrician or something. I don't know. Something that most kids might say. I said (laughs) with a straight face looking dead in the eye of every adult that asked me that I wanted to be a TV dentist. Now that does not exist. That's not a real (laughs) thing, but I made it up at six or seven years old. And I, I apparently I had some weird obsession with Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz. And I thought, what if you combine that with teeth and you have this super show (laughs) And then I quickly learned that people hate looking at other people's mouths. And that was a terrible idea for a show. Not to mention it didn't help because my dad always tells this beautiful story about when he was seven years old and he went to his parents and said that he wanted to be a broadcaster. He knew it right then and there. He wanted to be a sports broadcaster. Both his parents who are entertainers themselves said, well, then that's what you're going to do. And he always says that that belief that they had in him is what powered him to get to where he is today. And there's a lot more to that story, but that's the essence of what comes away from it. And so when I went up to him and six or seven years old and said, I want to be a TV dentist, he said, 
well, what's that? What exactly does that entail? <laughs> and I'm thinking like, wait a second. No, you're supposed to say that's what you're going to do. And then I go and do it. But somehow he convinced me that that wasn't going to happen. And by the way, he was correct in doing so. And it wasn't to say that he was denying me my ability to become a TV dentist, nor is he denying my ability in the future to become a TV dentist. But by the time I was 12 or 13 years old and realized I was going to top out at about five foot eight maximum, I said, all right, I'm not going to be able to play these sports for much longer. Let's see a way that I can stay in these sports. And that was to do it through broadcasting and seeing my dad do it every day wake up and be excited and seeing him at the events and how he handled himself and how people gravitated towards him. I loved it. And it's easy to fall in love with it when you get to see it behind the scenes and how the sausage is made every single day. So that was how I came to decide that I wanted to be a broadcaster. And from there, it was picking the right college, which I went to Syracuse University, which ended up being a perfect choice for me. I visited all across the country and ended up going back to Syracuse where my parents met. And I just worked on the craft from there and tried to get as much reps as possible, as many reps as I possibly could get on campus. I tried to make sure I would sharpen my skills so that by the time my four years were over, I was ready for whatever opportunity presented itself. And I just got really lucky in terms of timing that Ralph Lawler decided to call it a career after 40 years with the Clippers. And Brian Seaman was in the perfect spot as moving up to the TV side. And I ended up getting a call towards the end of my senior year. Basically, what happened was I had a professor. Her name is Livia Stomsky, who runs the sports media department at Syracuse. And she's still somewhat active and at the time was more active in the industry a couple of years ago, behind the scenes, producing, directing, et cetera, and did most of her work out on the West Coast and was from the West Coast. And most of her contacts were still on the West Coast. And so... Fox Sports West had reached out to her because they were conducting most of the search for the replacement for Ralph and said, hey, we're looking for a wide net of people and the Clippers want an incredibly wide net of people. Do you have anybody that has little experience that might be either graduating or just recently graduated that you think could fill the role? And I was just one of a couple of names that she had picked out, but she had reached out to me and said, put together a reel and give me a resume. And I asked her what it was for. And she said, I'm not going to tell you. And I said, well, that's not entirely fair. She goes, no, (laughs) trust me. I'm not going to tell you what it's for. It's better that way. So I just trusted her, which could have been really wrong. Like, I don't know what she was going to take and do with my info. What if she sent it to some weird scammers? Who knows? I could have been gypped. I could have had my social security completely jacked by the time I was graduating college, which would have been a great introduction to the real world. But instead, it was sent over to the Clippers, and they liked it enough that a couple of weeks Several weeks actually went by and I was driving in the car to my radio show that I had done Monday nights in college on my senior year, Monday nights. I was on my way there and the car lights up and it's this number I didn't have from L.A. And I pick it up and it's this big voice and it's Nick Davis, who at the time was the EP over at Fox Sports West Prime Ticket. And he basically said, as I'm sure you're aware, we're looking for a replacement for Ralph Lawler. I said, okay. He said, yeah, we want to fly you out and have your interview and audition for the job. (laughs) I said, I looked in the back seat because I thought Ashton Kutcher was going to pop up. Like I thought (laughs) that I was on punked at the time. I didn't realize there was a a re-up of the show. I thought that it was just they were doing one of those second coming of the shows. And I was the first contestant or first, I guess, punked person. But no, it was real. And so they reached out to my agent. The next week I flew out to L.A. I interviewed with the Clippers, auditioned with Corey Maggette. 
I took a red eye back to Syracuse. The following week, I get word that Steve Ballmer wants to meet with me. And so I flew out to Seattle, interviewed with Steve one-on-one, took a red eye back to Syracuse. I graduated the following week. And then I went to Chicago for the NBA G League Elite Camp, it was called, which is like the combine for the combine. I was also there for the draft lottery. And then I flew back to Cuse, packed up my stuff, drove home. And a day or two later, I got a call that Brian was going to do TV and they'd like for me to take his place on radio and to take the weekend, which in the moment I didn't need, but I took it. I played it real cool, guys. Like I played real cool. I was like, oh, yeah, no problem. You know, let me take a few days, talk to my people, get back to you. But in my head, I'm like, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Go a full steam ahead. So I was pumped and didn't look back. So first of all, that's amazing. Yeah. I just, I'm curious, like, what was that moment like for, for you and your father? Right. Because like, it was the moment that you really entered the family business. And then I want to know where you were, if this all took place before Kawhi and PG came to the Clippers. Yeah. And then that moment that you realized that you were going to be covering those two dudes with the Clippers. Yeah. So it did take place before that. The first moment was, I was, I was at home and we were actually getting ready to go to dinner as a family. So me my mom, my dad, and my sister were all going to go out to dinner and we were leaving within minutes. I was about to leave basically. And I get the call from, from Gillian telling me that they wanted me to take the radio job. And there was a lot of profanity of excitement around the house. <laughs> let's put it that way. A lot of jumping up and down. I'll go back to another Seinfeld example of that gift. That's very famous. Now when Elaine returns from her trip and everyone's jumping up and down in the apartment, that's basically how it was within the house. And so that dinner just ended up becoming a celebratory dinner. And it was funny because not only was that, so that was before everything with Kawhi and Paul, but it was also just before, or actually it was during the playoffs because my interview occurred, my interview with the Clippers, I should say, the first one before Steve occurred after game five against Golden State, which the Clippers really controlled that game the whole time. And I'm watching it night before because they're on the brink of elimination. And I'm thinking, like, if they get eliminated, am I going to get screwed here? Because they're going to be just, <laughs> no one's going to be happy at that right. point. But it was the complete opposite because now I'm watching this game and I'm thinking, oh my God, they're not only going to win, but they're going to win convincingly at Oracle for a second time in the series where Lou and Trez were, were great. And Pat Beverly was Pat Beverly and Sham had hit some big shots and Shea was playing out of his mind. Well, and I'm watching this game and I'm thinking, they're going to be pumped tomorrow to talk to me. Like I'm going to be in great position. And sure enough, that's what it was. So then they were eliminated by the time I got to interview with Steve. But at this time, when I heard we went out to dinner and it was, it was when they were revealing the finalists for all those NBA season awards. And doc rivers was named as a finalist, the coach of the year. And then Lou and Montrez were named a finalist for six man of the year. And I'm trying to think there was something, Oh, it was because, my dad at the time for my whole life, I'd been a Nets fan. And for the first time, I felt this sense of pride for the Clippers that I'd never felt before. I'm sitting in this <laughs> restaurant like, yeah, those are my guys now. Let's go. And so I was pumped for them, even though I really didn't have all that much connection with them yet. So that was that. But then for the Kawhi and Paul stuff, I actually was at Summer League. I was working with the NBA mm-hmm. and for the previous two years, I'd been doing stuff, some alternative broadcast, alternate broadcast they call them with the nba these experimental type of broadcasts where they're looking to see if they could work moving forward and so i was at vegas i was at that game with zion where the earthquake stopped it and we made the joke zion caused the earthquake with all the dunks and ripping the ball away from kevin knox and all of that stuff 
And so we just left the arena and I was back in my hotel room, which was actually the hotel that all those players were at. So that video, I believe at least the video of Lou and Patrick Beverly saying, don't talk to me and all that stuff in the lobby. I think that was at the casino area of the Aria, which is where we were. And so I was in my room getting ready for games I had the next day. I'm pretty sure I actually had, crazy enough, I had the Clippers and Lakers game the next <laughs> day. And so I was getting ready for for Terrence Mann, Fee, Amir, and that whole Clipper Summer League team against the Lakers Summer League team. And that was LeBron and AD were in the building. And then Trez and, and others for the Clippers were in the building. And I just remember it was 11.06, I want to say, Pacific time or so, right around that time. And I have the tweet updates on my phone, the notifications for Woj and Shams and, and anybody who could be breaking news. And so when it popped up on my phone, all I remember is the butterfly feeling I had in my stomach. And I texted Brian right away, just saying, again, a lot of expletives over text. But he <laughs> responded. He was in Iowa back home, so he was asleep. So he didn't even see it until he woke up the next morning and he texted wow. me back saying, we've got the best two jobs in the league guaranteed. And he's right. Not only is this organization first class in every way, but the product they put on the court makes our lives super easy. And so to have those two and now knowing that we've got those two, I saw some people with the Clippers the next day and meeting a lot of them for the first time, keep in mind. And I just remember Chris Wallace, who's a head of communications with the Clippers said to me, I think we made your job a little bit easier. And I was like, yeah, you did. I would agree with you. And so it was just pretty much jubilation, I guess, in that moment. And I loved watching Kawhi throughout the year. And I just had this gut feeling of who's going to choose the Clippers. I don't know why, but I'm glad that my prophecy was correct. Let's put it that way. Well, we are too. So all that's going to, yeah, definitely. All that's going to make it super difficult for you to walk away at this point so that you could start Beverly Hills Enamel, your new reality <laughs> show on TLC. Yeah. I'm I'm really learning how to fill a molar properly. <laughs> oh man! Well, thank you for walking us through all that. That's amazing. Um, I think Joseph was the first phone call that I made. I was out to dinner. I was having a birthday dinner in downtown LA, and I called Joseph when the notification came in. I was sitting with a group of friends and got up and walked out of the restaurant. Like I didn't say anything to anybody. I saw it and was like, "This isn't real." And so, like, I had to go get air. And I called Joseph and then we both just like screamed like little girls over the phone. Um, I, one of us dropped the phone and we had to call each other back Yeah, because uh, it was we were on the phone when the PG part dropped. And it oh, was, we I'm, were I'm like, really glad to hear that that little girl scream that you guys let out when I first popped on the, the video today wasn't the first time. That's all. No, 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 no. no. Happens yeah, all the time. Okay, Happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. No, but so, I, it's that feeling of like it's that feeling. First of all, it was a hell of a birthday present for you. But second yeah. of all, it's that feeling of almost waking up on Christmas morning. That's what it felt like initially. Like, oh, my, the possibilities are endless now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was in bed yeah, like Brian Seaman, actually. Um, and he called me like right as I was about to go to sleep. And I, I, I like jumped out of bed and then immediately fell back onto the floor. So like I was in bed, I jumped <laughs> up and then I went to the floor. Um and then I screamed a lot. There was a lot of screaming. There was that kicking that toddlers do. I was doing that too. My feet were in the air. They were kicking around. Nice. It was a great day. The helicopter really day. kick. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of the product on the floor, uh, I think we should go uh, into the show now. Um, and so basically what we're going to do now is we're just going to kind of recap the last week. We're not going to do like a game by game. We're going to do general takeaways. So 
The first thing that we're going to do is we are going to look at our most positive takeaway from the last week of Clippers basketball. So basically from last Sunday till now. Um, so Noah, you're our guest. We're going to start with you. Yeah, look, my, my most positive takeaway from the week is that I finally, this is personal, I finally have reached the level of haircut stage after a haircut where my hair's the right length. You know where you get that sweet <laughs> spot after a haircut where at first yeah. you're like, ah, and then it finally reaches it. So that's just a personal thing. But from a team perspective, I think what we learned from them this week is that they're playoff built. And that's the most positive thing that could have come out. The adjustments that they made from game to game, again, proved that they have constructed this group for postseason success and that the units that they put out. I really think mostly that adjustment from Memphis game one to Memphis game two proved that again, because that's a playoff type of atmosphere and a playoff type of like game to game. You have to make sure in these two game mini series that they're playing this regular season that you're making the proper adjustments. And you can really go back the last two weeks because they did it against Utah and now they did it against Memphis in back to back yeah. weeks. And so I like that Nick Batum's getting back in the fold, Sergi Baca starting to play a little bit better. And that playoff rotation is just getting strengthened each game. And the fact that Terrence Mann has really proven that he can be a rotation player as well is only helping it. But I think this that they're proving once again, they are built for long-term postseason success more this year than maybe in previous. I agree with that. Brian, what's your what's your biggest positive takeaway? Well, first of all, the haircut, perfect. It is the perfect haircut for radio. I will say that right yep. now. <laughs> and the voice um, is perfect for silent movies. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, I, I actually, mine is, is very similar to yours, Noah, in that, um, you know, I'm calling them the second night champs now because they are the only team undefeated in the second night of a back-to-back. -back. And if we rewind to last year, we weren't saying that, right? And there were no. actually like back-to-back -back losses on both nights. I, I think there was the, the two like weekend nooners and I think Memphis was one and the Knicks were the next one, or it might've been reversed. Um, and to me, it's like, it's a fun thing, right? Yeah, they're the second night champs. Like, you know, Kawhi's playing back-to-backs now and all this stuff. But it's the playoff implications for me because this team is playing games, making immediate adjustments, and coming out and hitting teams in the mouth the next night. And so it's that, to me, is a nice little kind of preview into what we're going to see adjustment-wise going into the postseason. And that's huge. And a lot of that is, most of that is Ty and his... Um, his relationship with the rest of the coaching staff, the analytics department, which is huge, and the players. And he's getting them to buy into these adjustments and going, okay, what we did last night didn't work or didn't work as much as we wanted it to. Let's try this out. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think the biggest thing for me is that it's not just winning in the back-to-backs. It's that they're pulling away in the second half of the second night of back-to-backs, that there is a a drive through the end of that game instead of just getting gassed like most teams do. So uh, they seem really prepared. Uh, mine is Nick Batum is back. Nick Batum um, was out for a couple games. Um, I was pretty worried because it was a headache. Then it was a migraine. Then it was a full blown concussion. Um, and he kind of struggled coming back and it kind of felt like he was refinding his feet on the floor. Um, and I was worried about it, but last night, he did Nick Batum things. He did the thing that he's done all year, which is hit the most timely three of the game. You know, Memphis is getting back in the game. They find Nick Batum in the corner and he hits it. He seems to step up whenever this team needs him to. Um, and that is huge to have that back. Yeah, no, you guys both hit it on the nail. And I'm glad that you brought up T. Lou and his staff. They've been, they've been outstanding and they haven't gotten the credit that they probably deserve and they probably won't until 
end of the season into the postseason, but they deserve a, a ton of credit for what they've done to this offense and what they've done to this group from a chemistry perspective, because the chemistry is legitimately there, 100% there. And talking with T. Lou and asking him about how these guys are getting along, he says it's legit. It really is. And Serge and Nick have done that. And, and to your point, Joseph, you're right. I, I think people forget Nick Batum, the reason that he started this season so strong, at least from what I had heard, a couple of the, of the coaches had told me coming into training camp, he was the one who came in in the best shape. He was so determined to get back on the floor and prove people that he could still be an impact NBA player. And so to miss a couple of games, this is a guy who's he's not in the prime of his career. He's now in the back half of his career to get taken out of that rhythm and now have to play yourself back in a rhythm. It can take a couple of games. So you're absolutely right to see him making plays again last night. Huge. Yeah. The battalion was rejoicing. Yeah, you, you talk about you talk about like the chemistry on this team. I my favorite relationship on this team that like doesn't really get talked about enough is Kawhi and Zubats. If you watch those two in huddles on the bench together, those two guys love each other. Like it's they truly have a like and it's unfortunate that Kawhi is as quiet as he is uh, and doesn't really give us a ton because I really feel like we have a like Tobias Harris and uh, Boban <laughs> kind of relationship, but we're just not being given it because he's not as like outspoken as those two guys. But, uh, you know, there was that moment, I think, was it in preseason, Joseph, where they were like kind of like play fighting yeah. with each other and stuff like that? Like they those two dudes love each other. Yeah, without a doubt. I think if it's not Kawhi and Zoo, it's got to be Kawhi and Serge. That is like a it, – it's one of those 90s buddy cop type of TV shows between <laughs> those two. Like they bust each other's chops, but at the end of the day, they know they need each other. So yeah. I do like that relationship as well. But Kawhi and the big man, it just seems like he always has a pretty good relationship with those guys, and he's gotten a great chemistry with both of them. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely. Let's, let's go to the other side. Um, we're going to talk about our biggest negative takeaway of the week. So Noah, what's, what's the most concerning thing that you saw this week? Yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to fully admit, I'm going to go with the cop out answer. I'm going to treat this like a job interview. And when they say, what is your greatest weakness? I'm going to say, I work too hard. I, I just, I, <laughs> I treat people too well. You know, I, that's, that's me. I would say that my negative takeaway is there's only 48 minutes in the game. And right now the Clippers don't have enough minutes to give everybody. And mm -hmm. that's been a negative at times because We've seen Luke Kennard fall out of the rotation, and Brian actually asked T. Lou the other day, well, what does Luke need to do? He said nothing. He said just Terrence is playing too well right now, and he has to get minutes, and Reggie's playing really well right now. He has to get minutes. But Luke's going to help us at some point this season when his number is called, and he'll be there. It's just about who's playing hot at the moment, and those two guys have earned the right to get the minutes that they're receiving. So the fact that there are only 48 minutes is tough because they've got such a deep – backcourt I would say arsenal now especially with the way that Terrence has played that it, it leads to some guys probably not getting the minutes that they're deserving of but it'll happen with time and for all of Clipper Nation that's worried about Luke or that's worried about any of these guys not getting the minutes that they need to I would tell you to trust T. Lou he's proven it time and time again with Cleveland that he can handle I would say really telling guys exactly what is expected of them and that's from the player's perspective what I've heard the most I talked to Reggie the other day and he said that was the biggest thing that that T. Lou has done this year versus previous places he's been and versus what they had last year at times. He's just been very upfront with what's expected from them. So when Reggie was taken out of the rotation, it was T. Lou who, get, who called him right away 
and said, hey, man, it's not because you're not playing well enough. It's just because of this, this, and this. And so Reggie said, okay. And he said, when your number is called, be ready, and you might be able to play yourself right back into the rotation. And that's what happened. So I think that could happen for Luke Kennard as well. But there's just not enough minutes right now to go around with the way Terrence is playing. And so Luke has to be patient. I would love to see some of the team scrimmages at practice because the competition between the like bench guards has to be insane because everybody is fighting for that that rotation spot. And so I, I just I don't know. Part of me thinks that those games have to be wildly competitive between like that kind of reserve backcourt. Um, my my negative takeaway from this week, and it's it's been a bit of a ongoing thing and I'm not going to dive too deep into it because I saw in the documents that Joseph is actually going to bring this back up, but um, it's defensive inconsistency. We've seen flashes of them playing amazing lockdown defense and then it kind of goes away. I think the second night in Memphis, even though it was a blowout win for the Clippers, there were moments you know, in the third quarter, the fourth quarter specifically where it felt like the team kind of took the foot off the pedal a little too early, which has been a bit of an Achilles heel for the Clippers for a while now. And it's not just this current uh, roster. And so it's a little worrisome. You know, Ty talks about it a lot before the game. Um, you know, he loves to get into the X's and O's when when speaking to us. And, and you know, he mentioned drop coverage, I think, yesterday. And so that he didn't like the big guys playing so deep uh, when they're when they're in their drop coverage. For anybody who doesn't know, drop coverage is your big man stays back to stop the roller in a pick and roll. Um, and teams have gotten some pretty good looks off of that because Surge or Zoo are so low, they don't have enough time to recover on a shooter. And so, you know, he's he's looking at it and he said, hey, like I don't, they're playing really low, which is something Joseph and I have kind of complained about a lot on here is is how deep their drop coverage is and letting guys get hot from three. And you have those random guys, those games against the Clippers where, um, you know, I think last year was like the Shake Milton game, right, where he just <laughs> cooked them. Um, and so it happens. But they're they're looking at it, they're making adjustments. I just want to see it for 48 minutes and haven't seen it yet. And there were a few moments this week where I was just like, oh, there it is again. Like, mm-hmm. it's not I want them to, like, fully go for the kill. That could have been a 35, 40 point blowout last night. I think if they had kept the foot on the defensive, uh, the defensive end. I, I agree. I, I think it, it goes back to what we had been talking about, I think, last week um, or even the week before. Just there hasn't been a complete beatdown yet. Like they've they've blown a bunch of teams out, but it hasn't been like this end to end complete game. There's always been these little lapses where a team kind of starts to get back into it and then everybody has to wake back up and put their foot down again. So I think it'd be nice to see more 48 minutes just like flooring a team. So um, my negative takeaway. Oh, go ahead, Noah. Yeah, well, I can just tell you right now um, from at least my experience knowing T. Lou and knowing his staff. And knowing what he's done in the past, first of all, the drop coverage is also a big reason why the Clippers are giving up so many floaters this year. And that's that's can you can expect that the rest of the way. Let me say right. that because they're going to play drop coverage for the majority of the regular season. But come postseason, this defense is going to look entirely different than it does right now. As well, the offense. I would say that if I'm if I'm estimating, and I've asked Coach a little bit about this, he's only implemented about twenty five to thirty percent of offense that he actually has in his in his bag. Let's put it that way. He's got a lot more to implement. And defensively, he doesn't actually show anything until the postseason shows up. I mean, you go back to those Cleveland teams, they didn't play any defense until the postseason, and then they dominated on that end of the floor. And that's exactly what I would expect out of this group. They're going to stop playing that drop coverage. They're going to start playing a little, a lot more aggressive, actually, I should say. Get in the passing lanes, extremely disruptive. So I hear you with the defense, but 
it's not too worrisome, I would say, from my vantage point. I, I agree with you. And that's actually something that we were going to touch on a little later. So we'll get more into that. Um, but you basically <laughs> sorry, just, I just it's okay. It's a curse. It's okay. It happens. <laughs> I, I forgive you. Um, so my negative takeaway is also a cop out. It's not necessarily about the, the team. It's about the schedule. Uh, this year's schedule has been brutal so far. Um, and I was looking at the second half schedule and it does not get any easier for this team. Uh, the Clippers have 34 games in 67 days to end the season. Um, the stretch coming out of the all-star break, which is only like three days. So there's like the all-star weekend and then there's three days and then we play golden state. Uh, and then we have two days off. Then we play 11 games in 19 days with three sets of back-to-backs and three sets of three games in four nights. And then we have two days off. And then we play 12 games in 20 days with three sets of back-to-backs and three sets of three games in four nights. Now, the saving grace is we play 12 of the first 17 at home, but the bad part of that means we're playing 11 of the last 17 on the road. So it is going to be a gauntlet. Uh, that the Clippers are going to have to go through to end the year. But luckily, unluckily, because I think it's totally unfair to the players, so is everybody else. There are teams that have 40 games because they have teams to make up. So luckily, the, t- the team hasn't missed any games so far. I just knocked on wood, um, and hopefully it stays that way. But it's it this year has been so brutal, so brutal. Sorry, I got choked up. Sorry, just thinking about it makes me emotional. <laughs> <laughs> You're good, man. 34 games in 67 days. That's that's rough. I, I would hate to even have to be like on a broadcast team covering those games. That must be. It's brutal. It's brutal. <laughs> the vocal cords, they're barking. Uh, no, it's I'd say April's going to be a tough month for them. That's that month they had free back to backs. And that that was the toughest of all of them. But the, the, I would say the fact that they haven't missed any games, and I'll also knock on wood will help them because there are a lot of teams that have to play 40 plus and that right. just to have that for the second half going into potentially the postseason and for some of those teams to have to then go into that play-in tournament that's brutal so if the clippers can position themselves still as one of those top four seeds they'll be okay and for all those people who are clowning teams or players for wanting to take a little extra game here and there why don't you take a step back and reevaluate what the schedule looks like and if i told you hey you need to exercise for two and a half hours straight, and then you have to do it again tomorrow for two and a half hours straight, wouldn't you want to take the next two days off? Because I would tell you, all right, you get one day off, you got to actually do a light exercise for practice for your next exercise for the next day in two and a half hours. You'd say, no, get the hell out of here. Like, right. It's yeah. tough. So yeah, it's a schedule, but it's one that everybody's dealing with for sure. Not only that, and then and then bringing oh. everybody to Atlanta and being like, and we're gonna have you exercise for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. We're gonna uh, have you just... exercise for TV. <laughs> <laughs> but not only that, it's like you're you're gonna exercise those two days in two different cities. So you're gonna be in New Orleans one day. You're gonna do that for two and a half hours, and then you're gonna have to get on a plane and you're gonna have to fly to Dallas, and then you're gonna have to do it there, and then you're gonna have to fly to another city to go and exercise there. Um, and we're also we're gonna wake yep. wake you up at six in the morning to shove some sticks up your nose to make sure that you don't have a virus. You cool with that? All right, cool. Exactly. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Other than that, it sounds like paradise. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's good. So we're going to, we're going to move into our next segment. It is the listener's favorite. Maybe not. Maybe it's just Brian's favorite, but this is hot take, not take. Okay. Um, We're going to start with our hot takes. 
Okay, I have a feeling you are a hot take expert. So Noah, please <laughs> scorch our eardrums. No, here's here's my hot take for you guys. My hot take, and this is this is tough to say. This is tough to get out, but the Clippers have the best dressed broadcast team in the NBA, hands down, <laughs> hands down, the best dressed broadcast team. You've got myself. You know, I've got my mom who worked in the fashion industry, my sister who is starting to do so. I feel good about my fashion sense. It's not quite Sergi Baca art level, but I feel pretty confident about it. I wear J's to the game from time to time. I'll wear Air Force Ones to the game, whatever. I, I feel good about my getup going into Staples Center. And then even when I'm not at Staples and I dress down a little bit more, I feel good about it. Brian Seaman, very well dressed. He also brings the hot fire kicks wise. J's forces, et cetera, whatever it is with his suit, respect it. It has been only <laughs> heightened, I think, since my arrival because I felt comfortable doing it. Now he says, wait a second, I feel comfortable doing it. So that's good. We've got Mike Fratello, who looks like he's ready to get dinner with Tony Bennett on the drop <laughs> of a hat. Like You're ready to go. He's going to down three glasses of wine and he looks absolutely fantastic every time he's on the mic. And then you've got Jimmy Jackson. I mean, the dude just oozes swag when he's walking through Staples Center. He wears his Adidas Superstars with his suit, and he looks fantastic. So I got the Clippers as the best-dressed broadcast team in the NBA, and I would challenge anybody around the league to try to come at us. Try it. Try us one time. We feel good. <laughs> my eyebrows are no longer on my face. That was the hottest take I think we've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I would I would like to drop mine, but I'm going to have to go get a skin graft really quick. <laughs> Because of the burns all over my body. That's going to be hard to top. I really wish that we didn't have you go first. Um, my hot take is get, is that Terrence Mann is going to win a playoff game. We've been talking about him working his way into the rotation. There were some concerns last week about him being able to keep it up on the show. Um, and from what I've seen, and this is fresh off the heels of his fourth quarter performance against the Memphis Grizzlies, um, you know, I, I'm going to keep beating this drum because I was not high on Terrence Mann to start the season. I was very low on Terrence Mann to start the season, and I have done a complete 180. Everybody on Twitter is loving it. They want me to apologize. I've already apologized, okay? <laughs> I'm not apologizing twice. It's not who I am. And he is the Trez on this roster now. He replaced that energy in, in these games where my complaint that I just had was that they took their foot off the gas a little bit against Memphis and he came in and was like no and he grabbed Kawhi's foot and he put that shit right back on the pedal and he did it by scoring something like seven straight points or something yeah, like that yeah. um, and he's that energy guy and I think that there are going to be moments in the playoffs specifically in the first round when they're playing a lesser opponent where it's like yeah we should be done with this quickly and easily and you might lose focus in that right and you know unfortunately we saw them lose Focus pretty bad last season in the postseason. And I think that Terrence Mann is going to be the guy that comes in on that game two or game three where they might not be as focused in the first few minutes of the fourth quarter. And he's going to come in and get some buckets and fire the team back up. So Terrence Mann is going to win a playoff game for the Los Angeles Clippers. Hot take stamp it. Yeah, from a no man to a yes man. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, so <laughs> um, my hot take is no longer very hot uh, because Noah stepped all over it a little earlier in the show. Um, and my hot take is that the Clippers are are playing possum defensively. Um, I agree with you. I think that they are keeping cards close to their chest. Um, I know that Ohm was on with Zach Lowe 
uh, this week. Um, and they talked about how Ohm's people are telling him that no one should be concerned about the Clippers defense because it's basically just them not showing everything that they can do. Um, I agree with that. Um, obviously, you'd like some more consistency and intensity, but I still think that from a schematic standpoint, there's a lot of things that they're not doing um, that they will be doing. And I think that if you look at what this team was able to do last year with some of the same pieces, there is this like terrifying defensive monster kind of lurking. Um, and we just haven't really seen it yet because they've stayed pretty conservative and pretty like vanilla in terms of what they've thrown at people. So um, I wouldn't panic about it yet. Now, obviously, if the effort doesn't pick back up, it's going to be hard to sort of implement all the things that they're going to do. Um, but I think if you look at the personnel on this team, there is a defensive juggernaut sort of just sitting there, um, and we just haven't seen it yet. Yeah, and Joseph, they're better, I think, just personnel-wise than they were last year with right. Serge Ibaka and having a Nick Batum who can switch really one through four. So now they've got some more personnel, and Marcus is healthy. PG is healthy as well. And the hope is that Pat Beverly stays healthy the rest of the year because if that's the case, and who knows who they can add with the buyout market or towards the trade deadline, we'll see. They've got a chance to be maybe the best defensive team in the NBA. And we've said that since the start of last season, but right. I think you're right. I think give it the last couple of weeks of the regular season, they'll ramp things back up and they'll really start to show some of that fiery defensive play, but give it a little time. And I think T Lou knows what he's doing. And I can promise you, if you trust him, good things generally happen. I, I have this idea. I love it. So Joseph and I have this thing where if one of us starts to put uh, a really like intricate thought online. We'll hit the other one up and be like, dude, save it for the pod. Save it for the pod. I love this idea that every time Kawhi does the Kawhi thing where he rips the ball out of somebody's hands, just completely takes it from him. T. Lou calls a timeout afterwards and grabs him. He's like, dude, save it for the postseason. What are you doing, man? You're fucking blowing our cover out here. I don't know about that one. I mean, that's, that's some galaxy brain stuff that you guys have going on. But I love when he does that because it's like taking candy from a baby every yeah. single time. It's literally because his hands are so big. If he ever did that, he would just use his two fingers as almost, I don't even know, tweezers to take a lollipop from a little kid. And that's what it's like when he did it against Boyan Bogdanovich, when he did it against De'Aaron Fox. And my bet, I think that my favorite part about all those is the reaction to the player he does it to. Because it's just this realization of, what am I supposed to do? I can't do anything. One, it's my it favorite. It happened to him in the Memphis game. Oh, it did? I missed Justice it. Winslow. Justice Winslow did it to Kawhi. Oh, that's yeah. right. That's right. In he that did game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Kawhi literally just threw his arms down. Like, he was so like, God damn it, that's not supposed to happen to me. <laughs> yeah, that's my thing. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> my whole flow. Exactly. <laughs> it's my favorite basketball play. Kawhi doing that to people. It's my favorite basketball play. And Brian and I actually watched it live together one time because we were, when he did it to Boyan, uh, we were in the arena sitting next to each other, and I got so giddy, I, I fell on the floor, and I kicked my legs in the air, uh, and Brian told me I was embarrassing him. I also now, I now want to see Kawhi <laughs> take candy from a baby. That's what I want to see now. I now need to see him viciously rip a lollipop from a child. I will allow it only if it's a baby snow wasset, not a baby human. <laughs> Fair enough. That's a good call. That's a good call. Okay, so let's. Do you think Ty Lu draws it up? Do you think he like grabs the board and just draws two big hands, <laughs> taking a basketball from like two very small hands, so, and like the team discusses it? So we haven't been allowed to practice <laughs> this year, but I would hope that 
T. Lou or Chauncey or Kenny or Dan or someone on the staff has concocted a play that's just called Hands or something of that <laughs> nature. It's like it sounds like a brand new alternative album that just got released and it's at the top of the charts. Have you heard Hands yet? But it's a dominant basketball play and they might have one on defense and then they have hands too, which is offense. And it's just to get easy. Maybe that's the law play that they have from Batum to Kawhi or yeah. vice versa. Maybe that's that's what it's called. It's called claw or hands. If that's the case, I need I need the Clippers to start acting like Oregon did back when Chip Kelly was there. And I need them to just show a picture of Charlie's uncle mm-hmm. from It's Always Sunny with the hands taped over his hands. Oh. Uh, that's what oh, I yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Okay. Let's, that's good. I like that. Let's move on to our next uh, part of this, which is the not take, uh, which is I think you're something you're really going to struggle with, Noah, because it's something like totally rational, totally like even keel. Um, but just an observation from the season that you want to put out there to kind of maybe calm the waters about something. Well, I've got two. One from this past week is that I apparently like Giannis and beginning to feel old because NBA top shot is like a real thing. And I just don't get it. I really just don't understand the obsession with NBA top shot. I mean, I never understood, I guess, the obsession with trading cards. Like I collected cards when I was younger, but never was willing to pay a million dollars for a Ty Cobb rookie card. And yet people are willing to pay $250,000 for Zion Williamson dunking a basketball where they could literally watch on YouTube. I just, I don't understand it. So that's, I don't even know if that constitutes as a not take, but Giannis said that he felt old and I also somehow feel old now which I didn't think was going to happen this early. But then again, I, I kind of should have expected it, just given the way that I live my life. So that's my first one. But the second one actually was something that Brian mentioned earlier in the show anyway, and that's just that Nick Batum's really important to the team. And he is. And Nick Batum, or actually Joseph, I think you mentioned it. I said did. that Nick Batum's back, and you mentioned that he missed a couple games. I just think he's really important to the team. When he makes multiple threes this year, they're 12-4. and four. And that's pretty telling. That just means that the ball movement is good when Nick is getting open shots. And I actually just talked to T. Lou, and he said he wants him to take more. He thought he's been getting hesitant on some of those three-point opportunities, that if he has a sliver of space, he wants to go up. And that's how this offense is predicated. He thinks everybody should be taking every shot available to them and passing up good shots for great shots. And Nick has had some great shots that he has passed up to try to get platinum-level shots. Just take the great shot. So I think you're playing 52-card pickup with how many times you've dropped I was just talking to T. Lou. So they're just T. Lou is scattered all around your apartment now from <laughs> how many times you've been, you've told me, well, I was just talking That's to right. T. Lou, me and T. Lou, T. Lou and I, well, you know, I was with T. Lou and T. Lou and I, and <laughs> That's right. That's my guy. Uh, T. Lou, actually T. Lou is a random guy that lives outside my apartment. His name is Tyron Lewis. So oh, it's nothing, okay. no okay. relation to that Tyron Lewis. And he just tells me random, random things. Like he's like a Snapple bottle fact guy for NBA and he just lives on the street. So that's who I'm talking about. Not, not Toronto. No. Okay. Uh, no, I was going to say, great. we need a photo of your radiator to make sure that head coach Teron Lou is not like chained to it right now <laughs> and being forced to have conversations with him. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I just have a photo that's taped on my wall. And people really question if I'm okay in my apartment. There's a, there's a window people can see through. And I'm just talking to the wall. Everyone, so it's, it's everyone, everyone has taken quarantine differently. Okay. Some of us have taken it harder than others. Yeah. And I'm glad to see that we're in the same boat. <laughs> That's 
good point. It's a good point. I'll take it. I'll take whatever I'm doing. So I'm going to jump into my not take here. So first of all, I'm with you on the top shot thing. Um, that's, I don't, I went on a rant the other day on Twitter about it. Um, because of top shot accounts are now being suspended that do a lot of, uh, like video breakdown work because top shot is like basically hitting them with, uh, copyright stuff. Um, so I have my own thoughts on that, but I'm not going to soapbox on that right now. Um, my not take is that, you know, it's kind of been stepped on, but the Clippers have the best dressed broadcast team in the NBA. Nice. And I- nice. <laughs> nice. It, it, I like it. Just spread the narrative, man. Spread the narrative. <laughs> no, my so my real not take. Uh, there's been all of this talk, and this might actually be considered a hot take at this point, but there's been a lot of talk about the the Clippers' need for another point guard or for a, another ball handler playmaker. Um, and I actually think that the biggest hole on the roster um, is they need another big man because if something happens to Zoo or Surge, the rotation becomes one of those guys and Marcus Morris. And that works sometimes. I like when they go small. I like the looks that we've seen from them when they go small. But I don't think it's something you can rely on all the time, especially if you know, you're know you going against a, a team like Denver that has a lot of depth in the front court. Um, it could be a little worrisome. And I think you need a like, I, I think a third, like six ten, seven foot guy just for emergencies um, is is I don't know pretty needed in this roster. It worries me thinking about something happening to one of those guys and and what the looks would look like in the front court. Don't forget about stay ready, man. Instant oatmeal, Patrick Patterson. He hasn't been there the last couple of games, but I still like Pat Pat. We've seen him get put into that spot where he has to guard guys like AD, and he does pretty well. So I hear you. You know, I, it can never hurt to have depth at any position. I think point guards always are are at a premium and the more point guards you can have on the roster, sometimes the better, because at any given moment you can give them the ball and they're going to help get your offense ready to go. But it never hurts to have extra big men as well, especially in the postseason. If one of your guys gets in foul trouble or goes down to have that insurance is helpful. So I don't think you can go wrong either way. I agree. Joseph, what's your not take, bud? My not take um, is that we got Noah on the podcast to make Brian Seaman jealous and strong arm him into coming back on the show. That is my not take. So I hope that it works. You're a pawn, man. Please, <laughs> please allow me. I'm going to FaceTime him so we can now get him and really just irk him. Let's just let's just try to bother him as much as possible at this point. I DM him enough. You I'm want me to tell sure. the story in Philly a second time? I got it a second time. <laughs> um, no, okay. So my real not take is that the Clippers are up to something. Um, I know that. They have made big moves pretty much every year since uh, Larry Fingers has been in charge. Um, I I just think that there's something going on. It might just be a buyout guy that they're circling or you know a veteran they're going to pick up that's already a free agent. But there is – I don't necessarily think that the Clippers have like a giant hole anywhere on the roster, but I think that that kind of depth needs to be rounded out for the in-case-of-emergency stuff, kind of like you were talking about. And I think they have their eye on something that's going to solidify either their playoff rotation or that next guy up, you know, their ninth guy or their 10th guy. So I just think I think something's going to happen. I I don't think it's a a hot take because they do things all the time. Um, (laughs) But I just I think something's coming. So if you're super worried about anything, something's coming. Is this because your your guy, uh, baby big dog, just became available? Is that where this is coming from? Who? Glenn, Glenn Robinson, the third. Oh yeah. Yeah. That is, yeah, that is, that is probably it. 
yeah, the two guys I wanted them to sign are now free agents. So I got my fingers crossed. <laughs> okay. We'll see. We'll see. All right. So we are going to go into our uh, next segment here. Um, so typically this would be a mailbag segment. Um, Joseph and I like to put a kind of call out to listeners uh, for questions and we cover questions. Um to be honest, it's been kind of a forgettable week in basketball for the Clippers. They played the Wizards and Grizzlies twice and, um, you know, not too much there. We've answered a lot of the same questions and we wanted to do something special this week since we have a special guest on. So we have some, we had listeners write in again to us, but they're not questions. Uh, Noah, our listeners want have a few things that they wanted to say to you. So we wow. are going to uh, read these messages from uh, Clipper Nation to you. Welcoming you into the family. This is your second season. You had some really, really big shoes to fill in in the uh, radio booth. And so uh, we are very happy to have you. I've enjoyed your voice on the uh, radio call driving home from work on some of these early tips. And uh, yeah, man, it's you, you've you you've been amazing at what you're doing. And so uh, we're going to kind of shower you with some love real quick here. So I'm going to start. This is, uh, this is too much. This is, <laughs> I, let me go get Tyrone Lewis real quick. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Locked On Clippers, uh, good friends of ours, another uh, podcast, uh, they wrote in, they said, uh, Noah is maybe the only good part of AM radio, Adam Oslin aside, as a whole, <laughs> and makes the game come alive so well. It's a great listen. Wow, that's that's awesome, man. Thank you. Our buddy, Matt Chong. Uh, I fucked up his name last time. Sorry, Matt. Um, <laughs> Noah stepped into some very big shoes when he took this job, but you'd be hard pressed to find even veteran broadcasters that could have done a better job. I don't want to just attribute it to pedigree either because the work he's done to get here is very much apparent. Keep it up. At Brown Musing says, man is years beyond his age. <laughs> I don't well, know if that's a compliment. the feeling old thing is ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Susan says, not being able to listen to Noah's call for East Coast games is the only bad thing about not commuting anymore. He brings a high level of preparation and energy that is infectious. Clipper Nation is lucky to have him. Joseph Alvarez says, I'm actually listening to him call the game right now. Let him know it's a joy listening to him, and he gets me hype without even needing to see the game. Clipside One says, sometimes I don't watch the games. I listen to them from my car because Noah Eagle, Eagle's play-by-play -play is just that good. James, a.k.a. Some, just Some Dude, says, love the Avengers Infinity Stone reference he <laughs> dropped during the game last night. Lucas Hahn, shout out Lucas Hahn. I didn't say your name on the podcast today until just now. Uh, the 213 <laughs> connection is incredible for branding. He gives you a big compliment for that. Uh, Nick Moretti says, I will purposely leave my house, get in the car and drive around during games just so I can hear Noah. Dave Soto says, Noah Eagle and Brian Seaman are the Kawhi and PG of the broadcast world. For real though, he's great. <laughs> uh, he calls a game with passion, humor and insight. It's hard to find all three. Agent Alvin says, I'm often driving to work when a game is on, so I listen to you on League Pass Radio. You have an excellent ability to get the listener visualizing the game. From the description of the uniforms to the execution of the plays as they unfold, amazing job. Robert Yamagata says, top-notch play calling, Mr. Eagle. You're making your dad proud. And then this last one, I wanna, I'm not going to say the name. I want to see if you can tell me who wrote this. I have a feeling the sign-off might give it away. It says, <laughs> Noah. It's been great working with you, and the Clippers are lucky to have you. While I think your love for Tom Cruise movies is weird and a bit unnatural, I mm. do hope you are around for a long time. Maybe you can take me to that Fenton stable and horse ranch you always go to when this crazy world gets back to normal. 
Seriously, you are an awesome guy to work with. Thanks for the laugh and show recommendations. Happy to have a front row seat to the start of your career from Grandpa Joe. <laughs> yeah, Grandpa Joe, we're, we're super close. Now that, that would be Brian Seaman. Uh, too many inside jokes in one thing alone and one message alone. <laughs> but man, guys, that was truly incredible. Thank you. Seriously, thank you so much. And it, it's what makes Clipper Nation so great. It, it's truly this family atmosphere and to feel so welcomed as I have been the last year plus has been unbelievable. It's been any beyond anything I could ever imagine. So seriously, I, I really do appreciate that. We're, we're really happy that you came on. It looks like we did miss one. Um, so I'm just going to read that one really quick. It's from Joseph Rye Ward, and it says, the quaff is impeccable, but your dance moves need work. So that's all I wanted to say to you, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, the dancing, the dancing has really come to somewhat of a halt this year. I, I don't, it doesn't feel right without fans in the building. I'll be right. quite frank. It just doesn't feel right without the fans in the building. They're the ones who provide the energy to me. So to, to be dancing without them, it, it just isn't there yet. But it, it could make its return at some point this season. That's all I'll say. And people have been requesting for some dancing. And I've got my Carlton ready to go. That's good. Well, <laughs> I can't wait to see that. So before we get to our last segment, there's... One last question that I've got for you, Noah. So obviously you joined um, a legendary broadcast team. Um, you know, as as we said, as it was said a few times from listeners, you had some really, really big shoes to fill in. Um, you obviously come from greatness. I I say like it's I struggle with League Pass and some of the the local broadcast teams. You don't have to comment on this. I this is me speaking. Um, and there are a few just exceptions to that. There are some really great ones, I think, in no particular order. Clippers, Raptors, and Nets have the best broadcast teams in the business. Um, but I am curious, as you went into this role, and basically what kind of set all this off was Ralph, right? And and his retiring. And, um, you know, I know you grew up a Nets fan, but for us Clippers fans, uh, Ralph was like a second father to a lot of us and really kept us around during the dog days of, uh, of you know, being a Clippers fan. And there were a lot of dog days of being a Clippers fan. Um, so I'm curious as, as you went into the broadcast team for the Clippers, did you have a conversation with Ralph and did he kind of bestow some of his wisdom to you and, and, you know, play a bit of a, a hand in passing of the torch? Well, look, Ralph Lawler's a legend in NBA circles. And for me, as somebody who eventually became a student of the craft, you had to know who Ralph Lawler was. And so I had the lob, the jam ingrained in my head, the monster jam by DeAndre Jordan, all those big plays from Lob City, because that was really when I was growing up. And so I and that was when League Pass began. And so you got to see more of teams outside your market. And whenever they were on NBA TV, you got to hear Ralph do a full game. And so to, to hear him and then on the radio with Sirius XM, he would do still some games that, that Brian wasn't doing. And so to hear him and and pick and choose things that he did and really see the imprint that he had on the organization because my dad's been with the Nets for a long time. And so I've seen how you grow with an organization. My dad was just started with the Nets at a 24 turning 25. So he was super, wow. super young. And now he's in his 27th season with the franchise and Ralph did 40 with the Clippers with far less playoff success with far less whatever, if you want to call it, mm -hmm. there's a lot going on, let's just say. Right. So the journey that he took, is so, so remarkable. And to say, stay true to the organization and give it hundred percent like he did and be the icon that he was and use a stick mic the whole time. It was just all, all unbelievable. So yeah, I definitely took stuff from him in that setting. 
And then when I got the job and it was officially announced, or I should say it wasn't even officially announced by the team, but there were reports of me getting the job beforehand. He reached out to me directly and just congratulated me over. He was, I think he emailed me maybe or DM me on Twitter. It was one of the two, but he just reached out to me and said, congratulations. And I know your dad very well. And we're all excited for you and you're going to do a great job. And so that was really the only contact we had back and forth a couple of times here and there. And then I met him for the first time in person at the Southern California sports broadcasting awards last year. And he was being honored with a lifetime achievement award. And so he came back from Oregon to Southern LA and we were at the country club and it was a whole thing. And a lot of us from the Clippers broadcast were there Brian couldn't be there that day because he had some sort of family conflicts he had to get to. So I know he was bummed he couldn't make it, but we had, you know, Corey was there and Christina and Jamie were there and people with the Clippers and uh, people with my radio station, AM570, were there for a separate thing. So it was cool to actually talk to him and, and his wife, Joe, and they're great people. And so to have them feel like they're in my corner, even in some way, shape or form was immense for me and my confidence just stepping into the role and saying, okay, you know, I've got their blessing and I know they're excited. And then a couple of times he'll reach out when he maybe tunes in and listens and just says, you know, great job and keep doing what you're doing. So it's been great to have them even in a small sense as I go through the journey. That's awesome. That's really cool. Well, you want to take us to the last segment there, Joseph? I will. Um, I will take us to track of the week. So I explained it to you a little bit, but basically this is a song. Um, I know Jovan one time had, you know, like apartment walkthrough YouTube videos as his track of the week. We still are trying to figure out how he did that, <laughs> why he did that. Um, but Jovan's lying if he had anything other than Drake as his track of the week. The dude's obsessed <laughs> with Drake. We, we actually went through that segment and then Brian and I gave our tracks of the week and then like kind of out of nowhere, apropos of nothing, he was like, you know, my track of the week is actually this Drake song. And it was just like in the middle of us talking about ours. Just he, <laughs> he was so embarrassed by saying it was a, an apartment walkthrough that I think he like marinated on it for 10 minutes and then jumped back in. Shout out, Yovan. We miss you. Um, OK, so um, do you have a track of the week? Yeah, I've got a track of the week. I mean, this is something I, I listen to often. I've gotten ever since I moved out to the West Coast, I've gotten into more West Coast artists. And one of those is Buddy. If anyone's familiar with Buddy, I like his stuff. I think he does some great stuff. And so I chose Hey Up There. And that's because okay. I, I this is I guess this could be another hot take, so to speak. I, I swear to God, there has never been a, a Ty Dolla Sign feature that is not a banger. Every song that he's featured in is an automatic banger. Like you choose any song that features Ty Dolla Sign or Todd Dillerson for any of those who watch Dave out there. Like it is absolutely guaranteed to be a hit. I mean, I just, so I wrote some down to make sure I wouldn't forget. I'm on the way with Khalid, Hot Girl Summer, Nights Like This with Kehlani, Work From Home, uh, Hit Different with SZA, Something New, Swalla, Whatever You Need, She Don't, Psycho, After Dark, Delight. All of those he's a feature on. Like he, and so he's a feature with Buddy and Hey Up There. And everything <laughs> that Buddy does is great, by the way. So I, I highly recommend all those who don't listen. I, I like pretty much everything old stool, old stuff, anything new, anything that's not country. So I'm sorry to all the country lovers out there, but I listen to everything else, alternative, you name it. And so I just chose Buddy for today. But I will say this, after the game the other day, the first game against Memphis, obviously when you're doing these games, I'll tell you that your emotion, like you guys feel it as a fan. And I've been in the fan's shoes and the emotion is really high it is just as high when i'm calling the game 
because I'm so invested in every single play. So when the team doesn't win for a little while after the game, you get into this little funk as everybody does after they don't win. And so that game in particular was in a little bit of a funk and I drove home and I was getting ready for the game the next day against the Grizzlies. And I was eating dinner or something. And I got a message from one of my friends and it was Bruno Mars tweeting that him and Anderson pack are releasing a conjoined album and oh, oh, it just made everything better. Like I completely forgot about the loss. I was so excited. It's coming out on Friday. I will have that downloaded within the second it is released because Anderson Pack is my favorite artist on the planet. Oh, yeah. And Bruno Mars does absolutely fantastic work. That is going to be, I sent it to my dad too. And he literally said, I think that was created just for us. So I'm, I'm just pumped. That's all I'm going to say. I'm pumped for that. And so that's my long, I guess, winding road for track of the week i can't wait for that either amazing i can't wait for that either that 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 tape is going to be so So good good. it's going to be so good well my track of the week will be no surprise to uh anybody um as everybody now knows i am a huge country fan and um, (laughs) i'm kidding i'm kidding (laughs) yeah you just got all of luke bryan's set list ready to go track of the week um i actually there i i am one of those people that even enjoys country uh there is some country that i i truly enjoy but my track of the week is uh from Owen, um, which is not the name of the artist. That's just the name of his project. It's Mike Kinsella, uh, who's kind of like a Midwest, uh, early 2000s, uh, like indie emo kind of legend. Um, but he is now making music under the uh, moniker Owen. And he writes and records everything himself. So every instrument on the album, all of that is him. He writes every part to every song and he records them at home. Uh, and the song is called Bad News. Uh, it's it's the opening track to one of his earlier albums, uh, but it's written in the third person of like him talking to himself. And it's kind of him like tearing his own ego down. So like, he's like telling himself like, Hey, whatever you think, like whoever you think somebody's watching you like across the room looking cool. They're not looking at you, dude. Like you need to get <laughs> over it. Um, and so it's kind of this funny, like tear down of oneself. Um, and it's really good guitar work plays an acoustic guitar. Uh, and the, yeah, just, Every time I listen to it, I think about him literally writing all of it and then taking the time to like play one track, go back, grab another instrument, play on top of like just the time that that takes and the amount of love and effort you have to put into releasing something like that is amazing. And then to have that kind of like self-awareness and sense of humor is just the cherry on top. So yeah, bad news by Owen. I'm going to have to check that one out. That sounds good. Joseph, what's your track? Uh, So I've got like a thousand. Um, Number one. Uh, is Shmoney Dance by Rowdy Rebel featuring Bobby Shmurda, okay? Uh, the reason why it is Shmoney Dance by Rowdy Rebel featuring uh, Bobby Shmurda is because Bobby is free. He is out. Yep. Yeah, shout out Reggie Jackson. <laughs> um, and I cannot be happier about that. Uh, and that is probably my favorite track. Uh, don't sleep on Rowdy Rebel because he is also very, very good. Um, my other one is actually coincidentally a Drake track. Uh, it's that's how you feel by Drake. Uh, the second half of the Scorpion tape. Um, I just have had that stuck in my head all day. Um, and basically for the last three days, um, not even the Drake part, but the, the Felly fell part talking to Nicki Minaj and the sample, um, which is the titular part of the song. That's how you feel. Um, and then actually currency just dropped a tape, uh, yesterday. It's called Collection Agency. It is phenomenal. So if you like Currency, check it out. Um, it's good driving music, driving around with your windows open. Um, fantastic tape. So those are my tracks. Those were all great choices. I will say this before almost every game, 
since the album was released this past July, I listened to at least a couple songs off of Dinner Party almost every game day, which is Terrence Martin, which is ironic with Terrence Mann and company. And that stuff is so good. I, I like, you know, Sleepless Nights, Freeze Tag, Love You Bad. You know, like all these good, they got like really good songs on that because it's a blend of, if you like, this is my, again, my personal taste, the blend of like old school jazz with type of hip hop stuff with pop. It's like blending everything together. Mm -hmm. So that would be my recommendation for any of people who have not listened to that album. Do that. It's got a good message too. For sure. Do you want to take us home? Yeah. Yeah, I'll do it. So um, Noah, man, thank you for uh, making your first appearance on the show. And I'm phrasing that way specifically because we are definitely going to get you back on uh, whether you want to or not, to be honest, it's going to happen. Yeah. The best way to do that is actually to get Brian to make me jealous so that I can, (laughs) yeah, that would be it. Actually tell Brian to order a cheesesteak properly and then I'll come on. Okay. No guys, seriously. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Are you kidding me? And and thank you again for the kind messages, kind words from Clipper Nation. Thank you to Clipper Nation for listening and hopefully enjoying along with me and Adam, because honestly, we just have fun. Adam and I just have fun on the broadcast and try to provide as much uh, detail and as much analysis as we possibly can throughout the games. And it helps that the team's good. I'll say that much. It helps that we get to call more wins than losses. And we hope that continues all the way through July. Well, before we go, I want to roll out the red carpet for you, Noah. Ooh. Drop drop your handle wherever people can follow you. Pr- feel free to promote anything. This is your time to plug. Have at it, my man. Yeah, at NoEagle15 for pretty much everything across. I really only use Twitter and Instagram, but I, I have a TikTok burner account. If someone wants to try to find it, it probably isn't <laughs> that hard to find. It's just a burner account. So good luck. If you want to really do some investigating, you can. Other than that, no, I'm just going to plug the broadcast, man. Tune in to, to the Clippers on AM 570. Actually, a lot of times we're going to be now on AM 1150 with the Dodgers getting back in spring training. So if you're looking on 570 and you're saying, wait a second, this isn't Clippers, try 1150 and we'll likely be on there. But other than that, man, no, go Clips, man. And, and you guys know where to find the games. You guys know to listen to this pod because these guys do a great job. So we appreciate Clipper Nation as always. And excited for the rest of this season. Amazing. Well, thank you. We want to thank everybody that joined us this week. Uh, We announced last week, and I'm going to plug it again. We started the Patreon. Uh, The show will continue to be free. Uh, but you know, we, we want to make this a little more sustainable. You know, we said it last time, Joseph and I come out of pocket to do the show. Uh, and we have had, uh, a few patrons sign on, but if you want to help us sustain this, keep the ads out of it, uh, go to patreon.com slash pod and sign up. As we said, this show is, and always will be for Clipper nation by Clipper nation. Um, and so we have actually had, uh, some people sign up. And so uh, I just want to give some shout outs to uh, the, the clip set commanders so far. So we want to give a special shout out to Samuel Dizik, Leonard Saldana, Philip Sanchez, James Ng, Omar, Matt Chong, Yagnesh Vadgama. I'm sorry if I'm brutalizing some of these well names. <laughs> uh, Seth Krimble, uh, Clayton Stevens, Damon Rangula, Garrett Corpenning, Susan Young, and Shane Young. Thank you so much for signing up on the Patreon. We really, really appreciate your support. We're going to keep bringing you the show for free for anybody who uh, doesn't have the means to make it happen, but 
clip set command. Shout out to all of you. We, we're going to continue to do this for all the new people who sign up. So if you have already signed up, please tell all of your friends with the most difficult sounding names to please sign up so that Brian continues to struggle <laughs> at the end of the show. I mean, it could be Bob Smith and I'm still going to trip over my own shoe. Bob Smith. Um, uh for everyone else thank you so much wherever you're listening to us hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with the show uh if there's an option on whatever platform you're you're choosing to listen to us uh to leave a rating or review do that it helps us break through the noise be safe out there always wash rinse sanitize repeat and if you don't donald sterling wins